0: Welcome to The Daily Combat Podcast. In this episode, we bring you one of the most experienced strength and conditioning trainers in modern history, Steve Maxwell. The Daily Combat Podcast is brought to you, as always, by Olympic hopeful-turned-boxer and all-round sporting polymath, Isabella Rossitano, arm-wrestling influencer, Hollywood Matt Connolly, and combat sports ring announcer, dave stockbridge this episode would not be possible without the support of our sponsors and this week we would like to highlight steve maxwell's personal training services steve maxwell has been involved in the fitness and martial arts industries for decades having been a major influence on modern strength and conditioning programming and being one of the first North Americans to receive a black belt in jiu-jitsu. Steve has seen the trends and fads come and go. He has thoroughly researched in nutrition, breathing practices, and overall health systems. Steve is currently running events and training workshops regularly, including jiu-jitsu seminars and online personal training sessions via his website www.maxwellsc.com if you're looking for the best you've found it in steve maxwell and we welcome him to the daily combat podcast for those
1: that aren't familiar with steve um steve well Matt almost ran out of ink just just <laughs> yeah. going through the, the a list of credentials for Steve Maxwell. So um, we will have all of that posted up so that uh, if you're curious to learn more and you don't already know about Steve, well, you know, there'll be uh, there'll be a whole lot more um, in the edited version of this as it comes out. But uh, we're going to take it that those people that are listening already know somewhat of your background, Steve. Um, but if you'd like, uh, would you like to give us a bit of an executive summary as to uh what's brought you to this moment, Steve? So,
2: Birth. (laughs) 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 You guys, you're making my earphones tight. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Now I've been around for a while. Uh, I started out in the fitness industry, uh, back in the 1970s before it was even popular. Started (laughs) training around 1964. And, um, wrestled all through high school and uh division one ncaa in college and of course it was an easy jump to brazilian jiu-jitsu i was one of the gracie's first black belts in the united states i'm currently uh sixth degree which is probably one of three sixth degree black belts in the u.s right now wow that's uh, crazy. i'm talking about americans uh there's there plenty of brazilians that have been at it before me and um uh, yeah, I was traveling the world. I, I spent a lot of time in uh, in uh, Australia. Uh, I was all over the place, you know, Sydney, and I was at Adelaide once and uh, was up in the Gold Coast and way out there in uh, Perth and uh, Canberra. Uh, yeah, Melbourne. So, I love it. so so apart, Australia.
1: Apart from your illustrious uh, sporting career, there's uh, there's a really interesting uh, backstory. and then, uh, and, and lifestyle that you adopted uh, somewhat later in life as well. So, uh, of course, you, you, your involvement with the Gracies led to you being an initial investor in the UFC and uh, and you ran your own gym for many, many years and had what you'd say is quite a traditional kind of life. Um, and then uh, a few years ago, uh, you, you changed all of that. Um, you sold all of your worldly possessions, packed everything into a 30-litre backpack and started to see – the rest of the world
2: yeah I mean it's called divorce you know <laughs> well, it wasn't
1: my choice. Wow. but you had the yeah, big I house mean, you had the big business I, I, you had yeah yeah you, you had all of the uh, uh all of those things that people oh
2: didn't. there are many you know the two and a half kids and uh, uh two yeah. car garage half. and the American dream yeah <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> yeah uh, once once I decided to uh, sell the gym um uh, I actually moved in a camper van. and lived in a camper van for three and a half years. I drove across the continental United States eight times. Wow. Just, you know, like a teenage kid. Here I was a guy in his 50s living like, you know, like a college kid. <laughs> and uh, uh, once I was uh, just traveling, I, you know, what do you do with your van? I mean, <laughs> it costs a lot of money to park a van. And <laughs> once I got on the road with my backpack, I couldn't see going back and living in the van anymore. Hmm. So I sold it. You know, speaking of the power of the internet. Mm. And you're talking to a guy that didn't even have a cell phone until it was almost 48 years old. Wow. Yeah.
3: Wow. yeah. And, and- I, st-
2: I still don't know how to use a laptop. It, um, <laughs> I, I'm amazing with an iPhone or an iPad, you know. Uh, the a- Apple products are made for guys like me. technologically, <laughs> you know, uh, deficient. And but, how, how did you sustain
1: yeah. yourself financially whilst you, you, you're travelling?
2: Well, I, I created a website and I started making videotapes, mm-hmm. and I had a lot of different videos. <laughs> what type of videotapes?
4: Different...
2: <laughs> 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 yeah, we had,
1: we've had other guests that make good money out of doing. <laughs> oh, that's fantastic!
2: Check out the Las Vegas Fitness Hunter. <laughs> <laughs> It was one, it was a, uh, we did a tongue in cheek uh, kind of video where I show up to uh, a hotel room in Las Vegas and uh, <laughs> the, the girl answers the door, I'll see it so, you know. A little robe. And, and then I, I proceed to put it through like a little workout, but it was pretty funny. And then, <laughs> and, and then, and then the video has a flash of her duct taped and tied up in the closet. Wow. <laughs>
0: It's a pr- premium
1: version. Yeah. Pretty, I you Move that to fans um, only these days. Yeah, yeah,
3: right.
2: yeah, yeah. yeah. It was a little risque, you know, but, most luckily, this was before the cancel culture thing, you know. Yeah. different <laughs> right. world. Yeah. I'd have a few angry, me too people jumping down my
0: head. They're right. on their way now. But, yeah. Uh, <laughs> you re- revealed it. They're on their way. Yeah.
2: <laughs> they're on their way. But, uh, <laughs> Yeah, after, after the camper van, uh, I realized that there is money in knowledge. And I had a, you know tons of experience, been around for a long time. I had ran, ran my own gym almost uh, two decades and had a chance to really uh, expand my knowledge base and my expertise. And there's a lot of people hungry for, for information. Hmm. So I started just doing these little seminars all over the place. And I would travel from place to place through invitation. Sometimes I'd contact people that I was interested in. And uh, I'd set up like a a seminar. And that paid basically for my hotel, my meals and such. And then I made the majority of my living doing online personal training, Mm -hmm. which I started almost uh, 17 years ago. There's a lot of people that they don't need an in-person trainer, but they do need to be directed. Mm. And Mm. there's a lot of people... That need accountability. Just knowing yep. that someone's there, yeah, that's what I do looking myself. over their shoulder, that's looking coach. at their diet logs, looking at their workout logs, you know, basically wanting wanting, you know, uh, information and uh input, feedback on their workout programs and so forth. So I'd come up with workout plans and do on um ongoing supervision. Some people just wanted workout plans, some people just wanted a consultation. Mm-hmm. and i have some people that uh you know work out ongoing year round mm-hmm. and of course when the covid thing hit mm-hmm. uh, i discovered the joys of zoom <laughs> <laughs> and uh that revolutionized my personal training so now uh, i've been doing live zoom sessions for the better part of two years now and that that's great i mean uh was 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 the with the way the uh, zoom works now uh i I don't see any reason ever to go back into the gym to tell you the truth. I mean, you can do so much and you can see an awful lot and really help people out without necessarily being there in person. I Mm. mean, sometimes explaining certain exercises, even if you demonstrate them, uh, you know, sometimes there's like some confusion. But for the most part, uh, it's pretty easy. Mm. So I've actually done a couple uh, webinars. On how to do online personal training,
1: Hmm. but it's quite kind of for people. You know,
2: there's a lot of trainers that like to get out of the gym and start doing stuff online.
1: Absolutely, well, it it is kind of amazing now that uh, technology now means that people can access amongst the very best in the world uh, in terms of knowledge, information, and personal coaching uh, simply by switching on their iPad and uh, and talking with yourself. You know, so it kind of makes me wonder, in some respects, you know, how the the, the PTs at uh, at the local gyms mm. uh, are going to fare in the years to come. Those twenty four year old kids, perhaps that uh, don't have a wealth of knowledge and experience, that uh, you know, are chucking people on treadmills and on bench presses, um, and maybe the wrong people that they're throwing on those uh, uh, the, that equipment. Um, uh, how they will fare and how that industry will will fare in the in the years to come as a result of all that we've experienced over the last year or so.
3: Mm.
2: Well. A lot of gyms were forced out of business here hmm. in the United States. Really? A lot of the smaller places, yeah. Really? Uh, oh, I, wow. I know a number yeah, of people yeah. that closed their doors. Uh, a lot of jiu-jitsu schools were forced to uh, shut their their doors. Mm-hmm. It's real, real sad. You know, the big box gyms will be okay. Mm. Yeah.
0: Yeah, even the, uh, uh, John Danaher with uh, the New York, you know, the John Danaher's uh, death squad over there with the, the G- Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. Uh, he's got some of the top guys in the world over there, and they were based in New York. They got shut down, couldn't train, obviously, the close contact with grappling. Um, they've literally packed up their entire organization and moved to Puerto Rico. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there
2: you go. And, yeah. th- and there, there's been a ton of guys that have left California also because of, you know, how how restrictive things were. Mm. And, you know taxes and, and, and just just the just the whole uh, California scene right now uh, people are just leaving in droves mm. moving to Montana Texas uh, Arizona you know uh, some of these states Idaho
1: Steve you've been somewhat instrumental in the popular popular popularization That's of right. uh, mixed martial arts over uh, over the last 20 or so years and as that as that awareness of the sport um has grown you've been perfectly positioned to to observe that um what what are your takeaways from where the sport was where it is now and where it might be going
2: well i i was never into mixed martial arts as a sport
3: Mm -hmm.
2: what i learned directly from master elliot gracie and his three oldest sons Mm -hmm. uh Well, and of course, I have to include Hoyce, who wasn't, you know, he was one of the younger sons. Hmm. But um, it was always a complete fighting system. Right. It it, it was self defense based first and sport second. Mm -hmm. The sport only began to become really, really popular within the last 10 years or so. Hmm. But before that, Gracie Jiu Jitsu, the way it was taught by the Gracie family, was a complete martial art. It had strikes kicks punches head butts elbows you name it you know finger pokes to the eyes mm. you know bite
3: <laughs>
2: takedowns of every type you could think of both wrestling and judo mm-hmm. and of course ground fighting mm. uh you know preventing people from punching your lights out uh you know everything was in there mm. so it, it was like mma that's yeah. why I hoisted so well in this first ufc because mm. The one aspect that everyone was unfamiliar with was the ground fight. Yeah. No one knew. You know, everything was pretty much stand-up. Yeah. You know, striking, kicking, punching. And they, you know, it was obvious that no one had a clue when it went to the ground. Yeah. And here was this skinny Brazilian kid, wasn't particularly strong, wasn't particularly athletic, but he had great technique and a lot of poise. And, you know, he kind of revolutionized the whole world. And
1: you've mentioned but, before is, that one of the reasons why they uh, didn't throw Hickson into the into the mix into the early UFC uh, sorry into the early uh, UFCs was uh, was because they wanted to demonstrate that the smaller guy could win against the bigger guy.
2: That's correct. Uh, Jorge and Gracie, uh, of course. These fights have been going on in Brazil for quite a few years. Mm. They actually used to have televised fights of guys basically doing you know almost anything go Yeah. Huh. You know? It, it, it was, uh, So in Brazil, it wasn't it was a, a new
0: concept. Veil Tudo. Yeah. No,
2: no, not mm. at all. Uh, in fact, it, it was so violent that uh, there was a lot of protest to take it off the television. Wow. It, it was really crazy. Basically, two guys in Speedos would get in a ring and beat the shit out of each other. <laughs> <They're> protesting about <laughs> no <gone>. the Speedos. <laughs> yeah, seriously. No but it's interesting. The, the Jiu Jitsu guys seemed to dominate even mm. even the free fighting And there was a huge uh, rivalry between the. Uh, the uh, uh, free fighting guys and uh am uh, trying to think of a portuguese name for it not luche livre but uh they they had a submission wrestling form mm-hmm. and it was a lot of rivalry between the jiu-jitsu guys and those guys
0: valtudo um, Valle Truto
2: yeah yeah
0: so it was it was
2: it was real interesting to uh see that develop and Horian wanted to bring that to the United States. Mm. And in order to, of course, you know, it was a big ad campaign for Gracie Jiu Jitsu. Yeah. And he says, well, let's just see what happens when we throw all these disparate martial arts styles in a cage with no rules and see what <laughs> happens. let see who walks out. And, you know, in those days, it was a tournament. Mm. Boys would fight four times in one night. What? And yeah. Damn. Yeah. Wow. Yeah.
4: Mm. The first
2: one was, he had four fights. And there was no Death. no gloves, no gloves. Hmm. Everything went. The athletes had a gentleman's agreement not to poke each other in the eye and not to bite. <laughs> but you could strike in the te- You could strike testicles. You could do. Uh, ki- I hits. hate getting hit in the
3: testicles. <laughs> uh,
2: there was a number of guys that uh, really took a lot of shots. You know, uh you you could pull hair. Uh, look at look at the hoisters fight with chemo. Yeah, chemo mm, yeah. He yeah. grabbed him by the ponytail <sighs> and wrapped Whoa. his hand. And just, yeah! I mean, all Damn. fair game. But then you know, it was pretty violent, <laughs> <laughs> and, and a lot of people got pretty upset. And no one was allowed <laughs> to wear gloves. Mm. The thinking being that the gloves protect the hands of the striker yeah. and make it harder for the grappler to secure his hold. Mm. So gloves impede the grappler, but they make it a little bit safer for the striker's hands. Mm. So you know the, the the grapplers are greatly impeded by those big, thick gloves as far as securing you know mm. chokes and mm. and securing grips and things like that. And that's how it went mm. for four. And then Senator McCain, mm. who was in the pocket of the boxing commission, mm. started raising hell about human cockfighting, and it sounded. Mike he was going to enact legislation that you know that they were going to pass to ban it and outlaw it. Hmm. That's when Horian decided to sell. Yeah. And he had already accomplished his goal. His goal was to showcase Gracie's jujitsu. And he wanted to show people what happens when you don't really understand ground fighting. Hmm. You can get in real trouble.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
2: Just- so Horian sold his shares. And at the same time, I sold my, you know, whatever shares I had. Yeah. And uh, I didn't make any money, but I didn't lose money either. Yeah. You know? And that that was in its infancy. There wasn't a lot of money in those days. It was bought by a couple of different guys who kept, you know, rebranding it. Mm. And then they came up with a set of rules to appease the Boxing Commission.
3: Yeah.
2: And uh, now you see it as, you know, five-minute rounds, gloves, mm. safety protection, uh, no rapid punching, hits to the uh, head, butts, uh, point of the elbow, no up kicks, no kidney kicks, mm. you know. It's, it's pretty much like uh, kickboxing, standing,
3: mm. and
2: uh, submission grappling on the ground.
1: Yeah. yeah it's a bit, well, now Now it's become its uh, its own system of fighting um, that's specific for exactly. winning points exactly. or, or winning rounds in the sport. Uh, there, there seems to be a couple of seminal moments when you talk about gym culture and MMA. Definitely that with MMA, it was that, that first UFC where it punctuated Western consciousness. And with gym culture, it was, uh, well, pumping iron for a lot of people, mm. you know, it's still referred to uh, to this day. And you've seen this, uh, this whole shift in popular culture now uh, very much. I mean, you can walk around any suburb in the Western world and there will be chicks that don't go to the gym wearing activewear. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's, it's very much embedded in the public uh, consciousness um has it been interesting from your position observing that and 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 at the same time the contradictory behavior of most people in western culture when it comes to eating and exercise and mm. lifestyle
2: mm. well it was really interesting because in the 60s you know no one ran or anything you know yeah. i can remember the police stop at my brother and i said what are you guys running
3: that's how you identify the troublemaker. Yeah. 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 yeah.
2: yeah. <laughs> what, what, what are you boys up to? What are you running <laughs> for? You know, we were just uh, preseason conditioning for uh, gridiron football. You know, <laughs> and uh, so it was unusual to see anyone doing that kind of work. But then, you know, the aerobics phenomenon hit the running boom. Mm. The '70s were all about running and running, and then the aerobic, uh dance aerobics. Yeah became huge. And then step aerobics, low impact, spawned this whole big, huge gym culture thing. Mm. And then, of course, in the 80s, yoga became like the big thing. Mm. Everyone wanted to do, it started out with power yoga. And, you know, uh, every kind of yoga you could think of, you know, (laughs) someone was coming up with a new wrinkle. (laughs) And uh, right about the 70s, uh, it changed from Olympic weightlifting to powerlifting. All of a sudden, no one wanted Olympic lifting anymore. Yeah. You know? mm. it takes too much skill to Olympic lift. Mm. It's a lot easier just to bench squat and deadlift. Yeah. You know, so a lot of people were attracted to the raw power of power lifting. Mm. Yeah. And then in the 90s, it was all about kettlebells. Yeah. Kettlebell this, kettlebell that. And the the secret Russian training systems.
1: <laughs> and, and you, you were in, oh, right. in yeah, introducing yeah, yeah. that to North America as well. Am I right? Yeah,
2: yeah I, 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 I got sucked into the whole kettlebell movement uh, like <laughs> like a lot of people did, you know, Yeah. and thought it was uh, pretty good stuff. But in retrospect, I, in hindsight, I, I saw it as a mistake. I Why? don't think it's a very Why? sustainable way to train. Uh, it, it's very hard on your body, a lot of wear and tear. Mm-hmm. You know, you, think about it this way. Mm. Uh, th- think about, like, uh, tennis players. Mm-hmm. How much does a tennis racket weigh? Pretty oh, light.
3: Mm-hmm. But
2: yet they suffer a lot of wrist, elbow, and shoulder issues mm-hmm. from just swinging a tennis racket around. Mm-hmm. So what do people think is going to happen when they start throwing a 24-kilogram kettlebell? Mm-hmm. That's, really shoulders and wrists.
4: that's really interesting. That's really interesting. Yeah. But would you say, would you still implement that in um, in workouts and, and how much would you say is too much? Like, I, that's the first time I've heard... That perspective, which I do agree with, I mean, as coming from my experience and my injuries that I've had in my life um, in sport. So how much would you implement kettlebell training? Like, for example, at the moment I'm doing a fair bit of cross-training at a CrossFit gym and they they include it possibly almost every second or third workout. So how much are you still doing any kettlebell training or what's your general um, opinion on implementing that in exercise programs now?
2: Uh, I don't see any reason to do it at all. Wow. In retrospect. That's huge. Yeah. That's a
4: big change, isn't yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: it? Yeah. Yeah, big, big change. Well, because that's they're it, they're going to the gonna market place. Yeah, that's
3: right. Yeah,
2: yeah, I'll sell my kettlebell Steve. <laughs>
4: no, no,
3: no.
2: I, I saw a lot of negativity. You know, a lot of the original people that started out around my time were mm-hmm. started suffering a lot of overuse injuries. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. For example, my ex-wife, DC Maxwell, mm-hmm. she was the third American woman to get a black belt in Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. Mm-hmm. She's wow. also a bronze medalist in the world championship. Wow. And she wasn't fighting the master senior, she was fighting young girl division. Hmm. She was older than most of those girls' mothers. And yet she took bronze. So Hmm. uh, the reason I mention that is I wanted to uh, explain she was a very athletic woman Hmm. who had been doing athletics all her life in combat sports and such. She was on the cover of Pavel's book from Russia with Tough Love. She was the pretty blonde.
3: Wow.
4: That's pretty
2: cool. She had a hip mm. repli- she had hip replacement surgery, which she blames in Kennebo. Right.
4: Wow. She's, yeah.
2: She's two years younger Ketubo. than me. I'm 68. Mm. So that well, I won't say her age. <laughs> <laughs>
3: no, no.
2: no, 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 no. <laughs> no, no. She, she's two years younger than me.
3: Yeah. Uh,
2: yeah, she had to have hip replacement surgery. Yeah, you know, Pavlo Sitsoli, Mr. Kennebo, mm. who's had, you know, his elbows operated on twice, I heard. His CEO from Strong First, which is the Mecca of Kettlebell lifting Mm. is that nine knee surgeries. Wow. Brett Jones. You know, uh, it sounds like a litany of just all these horrible overuse injuries. Mm. And the reason is the speed and the explosiveness of swinging kettlebell. Mm. And why do people do that? Because we've been fed a bunch of lies that moving quickly and explosively selectively recruit fast twitch muscle fibers. Hmm. This is patently false. You do not selectively recruit fast twitch muscle fibers. Hmm. You're working slow twitch through medium twitch through fast twitch. Hmm. Just like you would anything else. If, as a matter of fact, if you really want to recruit the fast twitch muscle fibers, no movement is always required. Isometrics. Hmm. I've become a big isometric fan. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I, I pretty much buggered up my right shoulder with the kettlebells. Yeah, right. Uh, other things too. I can't blame just kettlebell. Yeah. You know, a series series of wrestling and jujitsu in, insults to the body. What I want
0: mean, to in the Kimura lock.
2: Yeah. <laughs> but it all comes it, together.
0: Hours
1: on the mat every day. <laughs> I may have had a little bit of I to think do it's with <laughs> it was
2: kettlebell. Being on the mat, like, yeah. but my, my point is like, you know, you accept injuries in boxing, Muay high, mm. karate, wrestling, jujitsu. You accept those injuries as a normal part of combat martial arts and sports mm. it's just par for the course but in my opinion your training should never cause an injury ever mm. proper training should prevent injuries and the reason why an athlete would do strength training is so that he can do his chosen sport better. yes <laughs> <Yep>.
3: yes <laughs> yes now, here, here's
2: the, here's the thing I, i'm gonna i'm gonna bag and crush it a little bit <laughs> it's pretty harsh I mean, I don't know whether you've ever seen the guy that invented CrossFit, but uh, no,
0: the guy no one's is seen pretty no. bad. Is he alive? <laughs> <laughs> is he
4: still alive? Is he still with us?
0: He's crippled. Uh, Steve,
4: I was I know, massively against CrossFit
2: for a very long
0: ten time. 10
2: That being said, my daughter is a huge CrossFit person. Mm. I my, my, yeah. uh, my daughter, Savannah, uh, oh, my God, she just posted a uh, – she just deadlifted three thirty-five. So, wow! Yeah, and squatting over three twenty, benching, uh, um, benching over benching over two hundred and five pounds. So she's wow. a strong girl. Yeah, yeah. 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 I watched her climb a rope uh, with her friend, alternating no legs. You know, like uh, I, I I don't know, like I don't know how many meters it is, but it's a twenty-foot rope. Yeah. No legs. I, I Most guys can't do that. No. And you know they were they were doing trip back and forth. She go girlfriend would go you know I was like geez
4: oh. i want a friend so, like that
0: ninja, ninja warrior that's I, it I was yeah. Yeah. yeah.
2: so you know i'm kind of proud of my daughter you know she she is strong and she's very fit and she enjoys crossfit so i say go into it with open eyes but do realize it's not the best way to train for other sports if you want to be a good boxer you know you're better off doing general strength training and then practicing the skills of your sport to the absolute best that you can. In my case, I'm an old jiu guy. I do general strength training. When I say general, I mean just basic exercises. Push, You know, uh, horizontal push-pull, vertical push-pull, a squat, some type of deadlift, you know, working your neck, forearms, maybe a little ab work, calves and shins. Mm. That's all you need. You don't need to do some fancy stuff. And well, I use slow, high-tension movements, nothing explosive, take care of my joints. And then to get skillful, At jujitsu, you get on the mat and you you drill, you practice, you do all the things you need to do to be good. In your case with boxing, it would be, you know, hit the heavy bag, the speed bag, uh, top bottom bag, uh, do your head movement drills with your line, you know, do your pad work with your coach, you know, get in the ring and spar. That's how you get good at boxing. Going out and doing a lot of long distance running or sprinting up hills, maybe help you a little bit I'll tell you, you can do all the sprinting and running in the world and die like a rat in the ring, man. Mm. It's a whole different type of conditioning, you know?
3: Mm.
2: Rope skipping might have a place just to work, you know, get get you used to bouncing and moving on your calves. But for the most part, you want to keep your 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 sports training as specific as possible, near contest conditions as possible. And then just do a very general strength run. And if you're if you can if you're doing like a pretty bigger sport like martial arts. Or boxing, or jiu jitsu, or MMA. You don't really need to strength train much more than once a week, twice a week, a week at most, or you're going to burn out something awful. It's a big mistake a lot of people make.
1: Well, through all of these fads over the last thirty or forty years, as you've been uh, as you've been talking and have observed, we're now dealing with that first generation of people that are in their fifties, sixties, and seventies who've done a bit of crossfit they've done a bit of powerlifting they've uh, they've maybe even um, done the stockings and heading down <laughs> in the 80s and done some aerobics but so they've tried all all of these things and uh, what do you say to those people that are now uh, in their 50s 60s and 70s that are now uh, have done a lot of these things and may have given up or may just find it really hard to get around what what can those people do to to get themselves into good shape so that they can see through their days with great mobility and uh, in in maximum health?
2: Well, the the, the number one thing, of course, would be get your sleep together.
3: Mm.
2: Sleep deprivation is a worldwide phenomenon. And you cannot lose body fat. You cannot grow muscle. You cannot recover if your sleep is deprived. Mm. And it's just amazing how many people are addicted to the iPhones, iPads, computers, TV, mm. and you know, they, they, they stay awake into the wee hours and then they can't sleep. And then, you know, they have to get up. So this has been a real chronic problem all across the world, but a uh, big time in the U.S., sleep deprivation. Number two, you got to get your diet together and you got to get your weight down. Mm. There's no, you, you can out eat any exercise program. It doesn't matter how good the program is. You could easily out eat it. Mm. Like two days of binging could out undo like two weeks' worth of dieting. Wow. So mm. what's, the, what's the best diet? <laughs> That's like well, a- it's, e- <laughs> it's easy to get into. It's easy to get into. But the best diet is the one you can live with. Mm. Any number of diets work. But all diets work the same. Gloric deprivation. You must, you must create a deficit somehow. And that can be a combination of lowering the calories and raising your activity. Or just lowering the calories. Mm. And then the the third would be some form of strength training. Absolutely essential for good aging. Mm. You start to lose that muscle mass really fast. And even if you do strength training, you'll still lose the muscle mass. Yeah. You know, no one gets out, no one gets out of here alive.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so and, and-
2: people but people must strength train. Mm. So sleep, mm. get in a good diet, get the weight down, start strength training. And then of course you can do mobility and flexibility training on top of that. But if you do st- proper strength training, you actually enhance your mobility, enhance your flexibility. You actually improve it. And good full range squats, you know, good hinging deadlifts, you know, your push pull and so forth. And for people that are really uh, jacked up from old injuries hmm. or arthritis, uh, there's always isometric. Isometrics mm. are phenomenal mm. They're making a big comeback It's so funny They were <laughs> huge back in the 60s when I was a kid wow. And then for whatever reason Like a lot of good ideas They just kind of disappeared mm. Part of the problem is they're boring And they're not very sexy yeah.
1: mm. Well Nautilus don't have too too many uh, pieces <laughs> of equipment To sell that suit isometrics either So that might have something to do with it, um, <laughs> it Might have
2: something to do Hard to, hard to make money in isometrics mm.
1: <laughs> Absolutely, Absolutely. And, and- But it's
2: a phenomenal way for older people to train and there's a new type of isometric that was uh, created. Uh, it's called super statics or time static contraction.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, a mentor of mine has got a fellow by the name of Ken Hutchins. Um, he's had tons and tons of of experiments with people, hundreds and if not thousands of people. And uh, I'm convinced it's a very solid way to train for people that have arthritis or joint conditions. Uh, I work out my 84 year old mother-in-law. Wow. this.
4: Yeah. yeah. As soon as you said Uh, that, I've worked out. Mm.
2: Yeah, I worked. I worked out a guy the other day that was like 91 years old, and uh, he had a terrific workout, very safe. Mm. You know, Um, so it's a really good viable option for people that can no longer lift weights or or can't get to the gym or don't want to go to the gym. They want to work out in the privacy of their own home.
0: Mm.
2: So you you have uh, but some form of strength training. It could be just body weight. You know. For the, up, for the people up, that are uh, n-
0: not exactly sure what isometric training is, so your isotonic movement is obviously when you're contracting and and um you know um when you when you've got a resistance that you're re- resisting against with movement and your isometrics Correct. that you're talking about is where you're not moving but you are still having that resistance there, like pushing against a wall or, or similar that sort of thing. That's right.
2: Correct. And there's two types of isometrics. there's that type that you just mentioned, like pushing against an immovable object. It could be like a a chain with a bar or a stick on it, you know, or uh, it could be a wall, or you know, something like that. It, uh, you could use a strap, just a regular like a jujitsu belt or like a, a some type of loading strap. That's one type. It's called overcoming isometric. Mm-hmm. And then there's the yielding isometric, where you hold a, a measurable weight. For example, imagine you go to the top of a chin up bar and hold for time. Mm. Or you do a half push-up hold with your arms bent about ninety degrees, like uh, or a half squat or the wall sit. A lot of people are familiar with that, mm. where you slide down the wall with your top of your thighs parallel to the floor and hold for time. So you know there's there's uh, both yielding and overcoming isometrics. In the '60s, they used to you used to hold a bar loaded with weight between two loading pins in a power rack. Wow, mm. that's why power. Now, that was the, why the power rack was invented.
4: Wow, that's so it interesting. An, it was
2: invented for isometric, wow. huh. isometric power wow. And you would have a, a lower pin and an upper pin. And you would load an Olympic bar with a particular amount of weight. You'd lift it a couple inches and hold it against the upper pin for time. Mm. And you would do various positions. Like maybe on Monday, you would work the extended position. And then maybe Wednesday, you'd work the mid-range position. Mm. On Friday, you'd, you'd work the near-end range motion position. But with super statics, uh, it was found that you get full range increase in strength by holding mid-range for time. Mm. That's usually when your arms are bent or your legs are bent about 90 degrees. Uh, you, you recruit all the available muscle fibers, and you increase strength full, through the full range. And that mid-range is the weakest range anyway.
3: Mm. Yeah. Weakest mm, range yeah. anyway.
2: So by strengthening the weakest range, the entire range is strengthened. Yeah. So it's interesting. Very safe.
3: Mm. Good
2: way to train. And you can mix it. You can mix a match. You don't have to do just one. You know, I, I like to do dynamic stuff with bodyweight exercises mixed in with isometric. And there's certainly nothing wrong with machines. Mm. Machines have been vilified. <laughs> but a well-designed <laughs> machine can be fantastic. Mm. I I uh, I'll tell you, for for rehabilitating injured limbs, uh, I defy anyone to rehab a knee without a leg extension,
3: mm-hmm.
2: some form of leg extension. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but you know, like uh, it's really hard to work your neck, for example. But man, there's some awesome neck mm. machines out there, like uh, the Nautilus four-way neck, Hammer four-way neck, Pendulum four-way neck, uh, MedX is a four-way neck. Uh, it's a boon to any con contact athlete whether it be Australian rules football or rugby mm. or soccer or any martial art, mm. American gridiron football, you need to have a very strong net. I mean, anyone that drives a car should work their neck. Mm. Mm. My girlfriend was rear-ended the other, uh, other day. Oh, wow. Mm. Uh, a pickup, yeah, a truck ran in the back of her car. She had to stop suddenly, mm. and uh, the guy wasn't watching, and boom, hit, and her neck was pretty jacked up. Mm. Thank God she had been doing neck exercises hacks- Oh, no, we've lost you. Sure. you back. Yeah, That's no, right. a, a, a phone call started coming through. <laughs>
4: yeah,
2: sorry, go on. So all it was coming So through go on. By, uh, oh, sorry. So, so anyway, neck work is extremely important. Mm. But if you don't have a neck machine and neck harnesses you can use, but mm. they're a little, little awkward, you can do isometric. Very easy.
3: He's too, he's oh, too Steve,
0: popular. Yeah. You're too popular, Steve. I think heard it's, heard the, it's, up. The, it's
4: the Kettlebell Association That's they're right. ringing up to have yeah. some
0: words
2: <laughs> in the- uh, I, I hate to say it, it's my dentist. I'm getting some work done tomorrow. He's probably he's probably confirming.
1: Yeah. So you're 68 years old now. Yeah. What, what, what does your daily routine look like?
2: <laughs> well, I usually uh, awaken pretty early in the morning. Uh, usually with the sun up, and of course we're in the Pacific Northwest. We're pretty far north, mm-hmm. so it stays light. Gets light really early and stays light to about ten thirty at night. Wow, we're in summertime now. Yeah, you know, mm-hmm. because you guys are going towards winter. Yes. And does that and, uh, regulate your uh, yeah. daily
1: routine in terms of when the sun goes up and comes down?
2: Does I try it, to so go, go to bed seasonal? with the sun and get up with the sun as yep. much as I can. Yeah. You know. Uh A lot of times I'll go to bed early and I'll just read for a while. You know, mm-hmm. something spiritually uplifting or whatever. Mm. Uh, but I, I wake up, I do a whole routine of uh, Qigong exercises. Uh, massaging the head, uh, eye pressure points, massaging the eyes, temples, ear, drums of heaven, tongue exercises, mm-hmm. uh, throat, uh, working the fingers, uh, working the feet. Uh, then I massage the abdomen. Uh, there's a whole iron crotch genitalia massage. Mm-hmm. It's all part of the Chinese system of qigong i've got my brush in the shower testosterone. <laughs> keep, yeah <laughs> so there's, there's ways that you can massage the uh, the penis and testicles to keep uh, potency and virility and so forth well into advanced age mm-hmm. and after i get through that little routine i usually get up and uh i do what they call oil switching maybe you're familiar oh form. yeah that's
4: really good for your teeth <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah
2: Gums. also yeah. good for your whole body yeah. it pulls toxins out of your system yeah and uh then then i'll drink uh baking soda water which is great for Ooh. increasing no2 mm-hmm. uh nitric oxide which helps carry the red blood cells to the to the uh, uh body helps with your whole breathing system the and very alkalizing that and then i fill up a five gallon bucket five gallon bucket i don't know how many liters that is but it's a huge bucket. 20, yeah yeah at least and i fill it up with ice cold water and i go outside year round Wintertime, no. snow, ice—it doesn't matter. <laughs> and I slowly pour it over my body to get that oh. what they what they call to stimulate the diving reflex.
3: <laughs> and oh,
2: I, yep. I'll do uh, I'll do breathing exercises to prepare my body for it. And uh, then you stand there for a while, and the the feeling is one of heat, not cold. It's it's interesting. Hmm. And then I you know I briskly uh, rub down with a uh, dry uh, a really rough.
4: It's a kettlebell but, but, association calling
2: totally again. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he really wants to get a hold of me. <laughs> so uh, I'll, I'll do uh, after I dry off. I go back inside and do some more Qigong to warm up, and uh, some the five rites of Tibetan yoga,
3: mm-hmm. and
2: usually hang. And then by that time, it's uh, I'll, I'll take uh, my my first calories for the day, mm-hmm. which will usually uh, be some type of uh, herbal tea. Yep. Uh, sometimes a kombucha. Mm-hmm. Uh, sorry guys.
1: That's cool.
2: He really he really wants to get a hold of me.
1: Yeah.
2: Um,
3: Teeth are going then, to uh, explode. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
2: And, and then uh, after that, uh, usually uh, maybe a little coffee or tea. You have a mate, or I I drink cold brew coffee. I like it. Yeah. Just, it's just soaked organic coffee beans. I mix it with coconut water. And then I go out and I I have a nice walk with breathing exercises and so forth. Then I start my day with my clients. I go online. I look to see who's emailed me. It's still pretty early by the time all this is done. It sounded like a lot of stuff, but I I have it down where I can get it done pretty quick. And then uh, I'll answer a few emails. Uh, Maybe if I haven't walked earlier, I'll walk then. Mm -hmm. And then I'll usually go. And uh, I, I have Zoom sessions set up throughout the day. Yeah. Uh, I have uh, 10 foot by 15 foot mats in the garage where I'll give uh, jiu-jitsu lessons mm-hmm. uh, or I go into a local school sometimes, help yeah. teach. Uh, I roll with a couple of kids mm-hmm. like that.
1: What a great experience And then
2: afternoon, them. a little bit more uh, online. So I- I'm home a lot. Yeah. And it was perfect for me during this whole shutdown thing. Yeah. Everything was pretty much shut down.
1: Yeah, what a dramatic uh, culture shock from a global nomad to somebody who's now very much home-centered.
2: Well, you're going to laugh, but, you know, I've used an astrologer for many, many years, Mm -hmm. and he had warned me about this whole shutdown thing. Right. uh, Almost like a half year before this thing happened. Hmm. And he just said, hey, you know, early 2020, you're going to want to pull off the road, find up a place to hole up. He says, because you're a U.S. citizen, you'd be better off in the U.S.
3: Hmm. You
2: know, you don't want to get caught in a foreign country with mm. your visa expiring, uh, uh man, I, I read about this poor British couple that were on vacation. They got caught up in that mm. and they ended up in the ball dodge, and they went through their life savings. just <laughs> having to pay the hotel bill. Yeah.
1: Wow. Yeah.
2: They couldn't get back. They couldn't leave. They couldn't get back to home. Uh, there was a number of people who got stranded world mm. travelers. Yeah. So I bought a tiny house in Spokane, Washington, just a little tiny house. Oh
1: yeah. Yep.
2: And, uh, I set it up on my girlfriend's mother's property. She has this five acres and is way out in the middle of the Olympic Peninsula. Very hmm. rural. I mean, I have like six deer in my yard at any given moment. <laughs> Ra- That's raccoons. Cool. And they, no, raccoons. You know, I mean, I, I know squirrels by name. <laughs> I, I, they, they eat, I, I got them. So they're eating out of my hand, you know, <laughs> uh, but there's been bears sighted in the neighborhood. Um, <laughs> There was a uh, uh, a mountain lion sighted not too long ago. Wow! Uh, wow. You hear coyotes at night howling, pack of coyotes running around. So you know, uh, eagles. I mean, it's it's really quite a beautiful little wilderness area.
1: Mm. You picked an awesome. Nice and of we're right on
2: P- Puget Sound. So uh, as the crow flies, we're only about thirty-five miles from Seattle. Mm-hmm. But to drive here would take almost.
3: Three hours. Wow! Well, well, so that's As, another world
2: as a peninsula, so most people would take the ferry. But even with the ferry, yeah, you know, it's still like a two and a an half hour trip.
1: Hmm. And, so, and, and we're, so we're isolated. And and what does your evening routine look like? As you as you, uh, so you have a a main meal at lunchtime.
2: Yeah, this is my chief meal. Yeah. I I've, you know I only have coffee, coconut water, some tea early, mm-hmm. and then uh, maybe a little kombucha now and again. And then the chief meal is usually around noon, Mm -hmm. one o'clock. And uh, this usually consists of a a protein, usually meat of some type. It could be uh, elk, bison, uh, venison, uh, Mm -hmm. sometimes turkey, uh, occasionally chicken, but always organic. Mm. And Mm. with a large salad, some vegetables. And, you know, I I, I don't mix starches and proteins together in the same meal. Mm. So it's a protein-based meal with vegetables. And, and that's something
1: you picked up evening, from the from the Gracies with your with your time with the Gracies, Sarah.
2: Yeah, that that uh, they, they would sometimes mix a starch and a protein, but mm-hmm. I've been reading about food combining. It's called meal simplification,
3: mm-hmm. just to
2: enhance your digestion. Yeah. Uh the the, the main guy I really liked was this uh, Dr. Hay and mm-hmm. this other guy, Dr. John Tilden. Mm-hmm. They were the turn of the century physicians that would use fasting and diet to heal their patients hmm. and not use uh modern drugs yeah. and so forth. So I, I read toxemia explained and I adopted a lot of the dietary principles mm-hmm. expanded by Dr. Hay and Dr. Children, And I thought it worked great for me. Mm-hmm. And then at night I, I will have uh, carbohydrate or starch depending, mm-hmm. you know, uh, sweet potatoes, maybe, uh, or tonight I'll have chia pudding.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, sometimes I'll have, uh, uh, Teresa will make me a paleo cake. Oh, it's made out of yeah, almond flour. It's okay. made out of almond, almonds, or, mm. or sometimes chestnut flour. Mm-hmm. So, you yeah, know, it varies. You know, uh, occasionally I'll have a uh, a cashew ice cream. Oh,
1: yeah, yeah, mm. yeah. and, and it, but I'm
2: very careful on the calories. Yeah, the yeah. cashew ice cream, the whole pint is 550 calories, yeah, right in line for, you know, my energy expenditure. And if the pants start getting a little tight around the waist, <laughs> I will really pull back big mm. time or maybe even fast for a day or two.
1: See, I, I just go to the tailor at that
0: point. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we need uh, another inch. Uh, <laughs> that's
2: right.
4: uh, can I quickly ask, I'm really interested in your opinion on um, the idea that there's kind of two schools of thought on flexibility and strength. So some people avoid flexibility with the old school thinking that the more flexible you are, then actually that means you can't put out as much power that you want your muscles as tight as possible and everything as tight as possible to be as strong as possible. Do you believe that you want to be more flexible or less flexible to be stronger? And also, do you think it's different depending on what sport you're doing? Mm.
2: It completely varies uh, depending on what sport. Okay. If you were, yep. uh, you know, let's say for example, uh, you want to improve your powerlifting, mm-hmm. being tight and inflexible is a great boon to powerlifting. Mm. The tighter you are, the better you are.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: It's safer for you, and you know, it. Uh, I've seen some powerlifters they can't even do a bodyweight squat, but when they get like five hundred pounds in their back, <laughs> mm. you know. Wow
1: yeah they need the weight
3: to watch so to that energy. that
2: that that type of tightness actually helps them rebound yeah. out of that bottom position, whereas Olympic weightlifters want to be pretty flexible. you got to be, you know just basically throw yourself underneath the bar. yeah, those are sports. Mm-hmm. in my game, jiu-jitsu, you want to be reasonably flexible. You don't have to be super flexi bending. Mm-hmm. It's been my experience that the more um the more flexible guys, the really really super flexible people. Mm-hmm get hurt the most. Mm. It seems like you're more prone to injury. Mm. You can get put in all these weird, wacky positions <laughs> where you just don't have the the strength. Mm. Yeah. So you, so you get hurt. Wow. So, you know, you want to be moderately flexible.
4: Mm-hmm.
2: You know, you don't have to be able to do a split, but you don't want to be tight either.
3: Mm.
2: You know, you don't, you don't have to do like a, 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 a back bridge on your hands, like a, gymna- a gymnast, gymnast, mm. but you know, you, you don't want to be super tight at the same time.
3: Mm. Right. So
2: moderate flexibility, right. you know. Everyone should be able to touch their toes. Mm. Everyone should be able to do a full flat foot squat. Mm. You know, butt to their heels. You know,
1: So is, uh, that,
2: uh, that, that, that's what I call moderate flexibility. Mm. And you know, it's ironic because people that are kind of good at flexibility, you know, you'll see them all in yoga. Mm. You
3: know,
2: like you'll see all the ladies, for example. Mm. Women tend to be more flexible than guys. They're always flocking to the yoga classes. Yeah, it's not what they need. They should be in the weight room yeah. and, all, and, and all those bro dudes in the, <laughs> on the bench press and curling the barbells, they should probably be in the yoga room.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Steve, well, um, just yeah. with jiu-jitsu, um, you said you were an American collegiate uh, wrestler. When did you first encounter jiu-jitsu and what made you fall in love with it so much?
2: Well, I, I was looking for something to replace uh, wrestling. After I graduated from uh, college, I had a degree in in exercise science and physical education. I started teaching and coaching wrestling at a local school outside of Philadelphia. Mm -hmm. And uh, I I was just always looking for something to replace wrestling. I was still wrestling with the kids, and I was doing some amateur wrestling. But, you know, it was really hard to get, like, any kind of high-level wrestling Mm -hmm. experience. Mm -hmm. And I didn't know about the Philadelphia Judo Club at that time. But a friend of mine taught me into going to a, a Russian Sambo club up in the Northeast uh, of okay. Philadelphia. It was run by a Russian guy. Mm. And I loved Russian Sambo. Mm. It was like a hybrid judo wrestling. Mm. That was a lot of fun. Mm. But once again, a lot of the practices were right in the middle of a working man's day. You know, what are you going to do? Yeah. And as I, you know, as I, I, I raised a family, I bought a house, you know, I was working in a gym. It was hard to make these practices. So I kind of fell off the wagon for a while with the wrestling and jiu-jitsu. I started taking karate, and I practiced uh, kenpo karate, and I was doing some of that kind of striking martial arts. And then I heard about the Gracie Brothers about 1988. Mm-hmm. And uh, I went to their first seminar on the eastern East Coast, and I fell in love with it.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And at that point, in uh, 1990, I had opened up my own gym exercise, and I put a mat area in the back where I would invite old wrestling friends. And then I heard of the Philadelphia Judo Club. And some of those guys would come over. And we would cross train with Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and Judo. And then it became so popular, I ran out of space. So I rented (laughs) the whole upstairs floor. Wow. And this big old building that I was renting. It was like an old warehouse. So I rented the second floor and just completely matted it out. Mm -hmm. And started running Jiu-Jitsu classes. Of course, I wasn't qualified to teach at that time. You know, we called them practices because, you know, mm-hmm. I wasn't really, you know, I was a blue bout. I mean, but I was the only game in town. Yeah. There was no or Gracie. There was no John Donaher. Mm-hmm. There was no, you know, there was nobody. Matt it was Sarah. just me. <laughs> yeah. Was this after no you? No, yeah, that's right. Yeah,
0: was this after you'd spent time living with the Gracies over, over with Elio Gracie and and all that? You, you came back. to well, your... I,
2: I I would go I would go to California for a week, two weeks because I owned my own gym at that point, mm. so I could leave whenever I wanted. And uh, I actually spent a month in Brazil at Elio Gracie's farm, mm-hmm. but then I started bringing the Gracies to me, and they'd stay mm. with me. Boy, stayed with me for almost a month and a half. One time, uh, I, I would bring uh, the guys out for seminars. Uh, ho- uh, hoist came and lived with me. Mm-hmm. Helson, uh the second oldest son of Valerie Gracie, uh, came and spent like a couple of weeks here and there. And then I started going to Hawaii and spending time with him. So I was back and forth. They would come to me, I'd go to them. In the meantime, I, man, at one point I had 250 guys wow. training out of my facility. Wow. A lot of people to train with. Yeah. Yeah. So it snowballed. And then a lot of guys started splitting off and opening up their own clubs. Wow. Over, over the years, you know. And then before you knew it, there was clubs all over the place. Wow.
1: So it really was the epicentre of BJJ in North America for a time there where it, you, you had people coming to you, you had the best coming to you, and then you were just uh, attracting anybody that was curious to, uh, to learn Anyone more about was BJJ. Amazing.
2: And it was pretty scary in those days because we got a lot of uh, guys that wanted to fight. Mm. Because, you know, Jorge and Gracie had established the Gracie Challenge. He was willing to give anyone $10,000 to anyone that could beat them outside the martial art. Wow. Any other martial arts style. Hmm. You would give them 10 grand. It was supposed to be here's my 10,000, you put your 10,000, and whoever wins takes it all. But usually guys would come with no money. Yeah. <laughs> <They're> the <boy. laughs> yeah, that would be me. Come with <laughs> no money, walk away with a beating. Yeah. Um, yeah. We walk
0: away unconscious.
2: <laughs> so, you know, they would just walk away with a beating is pretty much it. And, um, we would get guys coming into us <laughs> in, in exercise. And I used to say, wait a second. My name's not Gracie. I'm just a student. <laughs> yeah? I'm just, uh, well, by that point, I was a purple belt. You know, pretty capable. Purple belts, you know, that's getting up there pretty good. <laughs> and uh, I can handle myself. So we took on a lot of challenge fights, even at my gym exercise. <laughs> we used to get guys in all the time. But by that point, I was getting towards my late 40s. And I just got tired of it, man. I mean, there was a real risk of getting hurt, mm. you know, because these guys would try to take your head off. Yeah. So I had a bunch of young blokes that were like just, you know, full of piss and vinegar and you know, <laughs> young and dumb and full of cum, ready to go, man. <laughs> <laughs> Can I say can I can I say that on him? Yeah, it's all done. Not, it's,
0: all right. it's done. No. Um,
4: no, 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 just no, replace a no, no, third no. word with something else Absolutely. <laughs> I the,
1: absolute icons young, of the young, industry can get dumb it. Dumb and
4: full of enthusiasm. <laughs> <laughs>
1: full That's, of the ears, yeah. <laughs> That's the PC version.
2: That's uh, the PC version. Apologies to, apologies to anyone's ears that are burning. To to all, <laughs> all, all,
1: all of those that are offended, Come back next week be I being <laughs>
2: I had my designated hitters. I had some really tough kids that, you know, really knew their jiu-jitsu. Mm. And we would kind of take turns. You know, we had like a rotation. <laughs> and um, it was a we, would accommodate, <laughs> we would accommodate anyone that wanted to come in. But it was really interesting. You know, the fights always ended up the same way. Because I had college wrestling and sambo experience, and I knew all the judo throws, all the takedown, and uh, pretty decent on the, the map. Uh, usually it ended up with me taking them down. Uh, usually mounting them or taking their back and just using open hand slaps until they would give up and sometimes choking them out to the death. Mm. Almost never really a challenge against people they didn't know. Now, the tough guys that would come in were wrestlers or judo players or sabo players. Mm. Then you were in for a fight. (laughs) Those guys guys knew enough grappling as they mixed up with the strikes. Very dangerous. Mm. We never lost but some of the fights lasted a long time. <laughs> I had one against this former uh, NCAA uh, Division II college wrestler. Uh, he was uh, Division II champion, and uh, man, I went almost forty-seven minutes with this wow. guy before wow. I finally submitted. Him. Wow! And I'm trying to—I I wanted to quit so bad, so hmm. many times, because this guy. There's a few times he's really getting the better of me. Hmm. I was uh, about—I I was uh, forty-eight. He was twenty two. Oh. I weighed hundred and fifty-eight pounds. He was two hundred and ten pounds. Incredible.
0: <laughs> but
2: the only the only reason I stayed with it was Hoyce was there. No. I wasn't gonna give up in front of my hero. <laughs> the, the prestige of the family
1: him. was uh, <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs> I'd, I'd, I'd know, he, he wanted he wanted to see how I handled myself.
0: Incredible. And so, uh yeah.
2: so, so, so that was a rough fight, man. I had another one with a judo guy that came in. Real tough guy, man. Really tough guy. (laughs) And, uh, yeah. So, I mean, there there were some tough guys that came in. But if they were non-grapplers, it was really easy. Boxers, uh, karate guys. Taekwondo, we would just salivate. (laughs) (laughs) they they just didn't know what to do they had no clue after that spinning wheel kick there was nothing we Thai guys knew about we Thai guys knew how to clinch yeah they could be dangerous but once the fight went to ground it's pretty much done
1: well steve undoubtedly you've got a a wealth of knowledge and are a tremendous resource just in yourself so uh, whether people are out there and just wondering how do I get my diet right? I, I need to strengthen up. I, I, what whatever it is that they need to do to to raise their game to the next level, how can they reach out to you, Steve?
2: Their website is called MaxwellSC.com. Maxwell S for and C for conditioning. Yep. MaxwellSC.com. Uh, there's a the contact information there. They can email uh, and send a letter of inquiry. Let me know that they're interested. And I do have a few openings for some online training. So anyone that would like to get an assessment or even just do a phone, phone consultation, yeah, uh, they can contact me there.
1: Absolutely. Fantastic. Thank you so Sam. much Thanks for there. sharing
4: your knowledge today. It's been really interesting to Thanks, from
2: you.
1: It's been great seeing you again, really,
2: Steve. Really fun, man. Thanks for having me on the show.
1: Thanks so much. Hopefully
2: we'll, I'll see you then.
0: We'll, we'll catch you soon. You've been listening to the Daily Combat Podcast. If you would like further information about today's guest, Steve Maxwell, you can check him out on his website, maxwellsc.com. Special thanks also go out to our main sponsor, Real Estate Agents Group. This company is growing to become one of South Australia's largest independent real estate groups. With a board of directors with over 100 years of collective real estate industry experience, real is for real people, by real people. Check them out on Facebook under Real Estate Agents Group or visit their website urbanandruralsales.com.au The Daily Combat Podcast is proudly brought to you by Dave Stockbridge, Isabella Rossitano and Hollywood Matt Connolly. Make sure to give us a five-star review as this helps us to continue to promote combat sports in Australia and around the world. You can find out more information about the podcast at dailycombatnews.com You can also follow us on all social media platforms with the full video episodes available on YouTube. Just search The Daily Combat Podcast Thank you again for listening from all of us here at The Daily Combat Podcast team